It's arguably our most treasured sense. It allows us to see and make sense of the world around us. And it's crucial for our ability to think about or plan the future with imagination or wisdom. It's also a common theme between pretty much all leading companies. My name is Victoria Wadsworth Hansen, and today, in the fifth instalment of the Agilent podcast series, we're talking about vision in all its permutations. Every innovation begins with a vision. Groups are individuals who can see not just the needs of the world around them, but also the trends and opportunities that might answer those needs. I wanted to dig into this deeper and meet some of the people whose vision today can inform or even shape the world tomorrow. I couldn't resist starting in an area of medicine where vision is critical in both senses of the word, ophthalmology. My name is Neil Ebenezer and I'm the Director of Research, Policy and Innovation at the charity Fight for Sight. Currently, the charity is focused on eye research and is funding solutions to stop sight loss, but also to halt and prevent visual impairment. It's great to meet you, Neil. I wonder, when you're considering the next advances in ophthalmic research, how much the progress of the past informs your outlook on the future? So, I mean, if you go back over the last century, treatments have improved significantly. So, you know, conditions such as, say, glaucoma or cataracts, we now have excellent techniques and technologies that can provide clinical solutions for people with these conditions that didn't exist you know, 100 years ago. So in 100 years' time, would you still want to do surgery to correct cataract, or would people prefer things like eye drops? So some of the current research is around some of those sorts of areas, around uh, how you might actually improve on what the current techniques are to address conditions. The eye is an extraordinary and complex organ. When you visualize the challenges that stand in the way of Fight for Sight's vision of improved eye care, What's at the top of the list? The major challenges in finding a cure for sight loss is that it isn't one condition. There are actually hundreds of different eye conditions, things like the cornea, the lens, the retina, the optic nerve. And each of these uh, layers or parts of the eye can have different conditions or different bits that will not work as intended. And so trying to identify a single solution is not possible. Right, so when we're thinking about ways to handle that complexity, gene therapy is a major focus for clinical researchers like you in many spheres of medicine, and I've seen a lot of references to its possible applications in ophthalmology. The sequencing of the human GM has had a massive effect for uh, ophthalmology and ocular conditions. It has improved our understanding and diagnosis of genetic and genomic testing that gives patients far more information about their conditions. If you take a condition such as, let's say, Leber's congenital amaurosis, it has, I think, 20 different genes associated with it. So when you're looking at a condition like LCA, to be able to say that it is this gene, and therefore when you have this gene, you know, this is a cascade of events that will happen, or this is in terms of when sight loss will occur, or how the disease might progress or manifest itself, depending on the specific mutation, is really quite crucial to patients as well as to the clinicians. We're now seeing uh, therapies such as gene therapy coming in where they're using this information to address the mutation, just to find a solution to that, and hence 
either reverse sight loss or halt progression of sight loss. It's a fascinating area. Can you share with us a layman's explanation of how it actually works? So gene therapy can work in a number of different ways depending on the technique that is used. But in essence, it involves understanding where a gene has gone wrong and then inserting the correct genetic information into a cell that makes that cell start functioning correctly. Currently, they use a non-harmful virus, an AAV it's called, to put that correct genetic information and then infect the cells with it so that the information is passed into the cells and allowing the cell to function properly and recovering a person's vision. So a bit like the Trojan horse. So when you visualize the future of ophthalmology, is it all about gene therapy or are there other promising areas that have been researched? I think it is really one of the therapies that is currently having an impact. And as I say, Pfizer has funded research in this area or work to support this in this area. But alongside this, I think there are other possible treatment regimes. So we can look at things like stem cells, using stem cells to be able to address a number of sight loss conditions. And so we, this is still very early stages of development. And yet again, we'll look to see how this progresses in the future. Some of the interesting areas that uh, might also apply will be there are some medical devices that are using sort of, for want of a better description, an artificial retina. We know that in time, some of these technologies could improve and allow patients much finer vision than the current technology allows. So there are a number of different initiatives that has the potential to address some of the issues around sight loss. Talking with Neil made me realise just how much power the vision of people today has to shape the health of people tomorrow. To explore that a bit further, I met with a pharmaceutical development veteran who now works in consultancy and uses his own experience and insight to help organisations develop their own vision. My name is Dr Richard Ladd. I'm an independent consultant for the pharmaceutical industry with over 30 years experience within the industry. So Richard, as a consultant, your clients come to you for your own insights and the experience they've grown out of. So if I could get a freebie, if you could look into your crystal ball, what's your vision for the pharma industry? What's the inside scoop? So vision for me is really about describing the future state. And for me, the pharmaceutical industry is about treatment. It's about making a meaningful difference to patient lives. So my vision for the future is that some of the illnesses today that can't be treated are treated and maybe even cured. But the real problems today is associated with complexities and, and tighter, tighter regulations. Everybody wants to get to market faster. It still takes 10 years to get to market. How can we do that in half that time? Well, these are definitely the billion dollar questions. But what are the trends today that you're seeing which might hint at some of the answers? I see great changes in the technologies that have really started to pave the way for these new molecules that are coming to market. Without technology, there's no industry. So there has to be this marriage between the two. Technologies are becoming faster and smarter, generating far more information from fewer samples, a smaller data set, and using that information to really make informed decisions and quicker decisions, I think is really changing the way uh, drugs are developed. And, and, and that's really how you get to quicker decision making and ultimately 
speed to market. A good example is an adaptive clinical trial. Rather than big clinical trials that are conducted over maybe 12 months or more, with hundreds of patients and, you know, you break the code and look at the data at the end of that. Moving to an adaptive trial, being able to change that trial based on outcomes. And I think that's based on technologies and capabilities. So I could see uh, an adaptive trial requiring more real-time testing capabilities for bioanalysis. That would be a monumental change for uh, the vendor companies to be able to produce a high-end instrument to look at blood level data that could be perhaps operated by a nurse in a clinical pharmacology unit. So there are definitely gains to be had in efficiency at the development stage. But of course, at the other end of the chain, there's quality control of the finished product itself. What's your vision for where we might see improvements there? Then you move into the manufacturing space. There's a lot of focus and effort from the regulators to increase quality. There's a lot of effort on understanding control and design space of processes and a real drive now to move to continuous manufacturing. You know, when the food industry bakes cakes or biscuits, they're continuously monitoring the ingredients. They're continuously monitoring the point at which, you know, food goes into an oven when it comes out for continuous processing and the technologies that are required. The vast majority of medicines we take are solids. So the technology has to be able to analyse solids, to be able to take a capsule or a tablet and to analyse it without doing anything to it. Maybe even analysing through a pack are the technologies that the industry is really, really focusing on. And molecular spectroscopic techniques around that space are really starting to evolve. And they're moving to an arena where they're very fast. You can deal with far more samples and you're doing that in a non-destructive way. I think there's some real game-changing technologies there that are really going to help the industry move from where it is today in manufacture, which is quite antiquated, to the future quality state where we may see more continuous processing, where you have to have more real-time measurements. Thinking about that from Agilent's perspective, I imagine that that could have a profound impact on how labs are run in the future. Moving to continuous processing, I think, leads to smaller footprints, smaller plants, and could revolutionise the laboratory of the future. You know, would the QC laboratory exist in a future state? Would it be more a problem-solving laboratory? Because for continuous processing, you need to be able to continuously analyse, and that needs new capabilities. If you put all of those building blocks together, I think we end up with a far shorter time period to market with far better quality medicines and ultimately that leads to far better treatments and and cure. And I see huge steps being made by the vendor instrument manufacturers to really bring the technologies to the marketplace that's really going to help the industry deliver on the future of medicines. My conversation with Richard had touched a few points of mutual interest with Agilent. So for my final discussion, I met with a colleague and an expert in spectroscopy to move the conversation from the demand that vision creates to the solutions that are sparked because of that vision. My name is Philip Binns. I'm the Vice President of Spectroscopy and Vacuum Division within the Life Science and Chemical Markets Group. Hi Phil and thanks for making time to speak to us today. I wonder, could you start by telling us how and why you got involved in the world of spectroscopy? In my first jobs, I was working in the mining industry in Australia and in Canada in remote laboratories, and we were using atomic absorption and other spectroscopy techniques 
to do sample analysis for the minerals operations where I was working. At that stage, I saw some of the key challenges, which we still face today in terms of sample turnaround times, sample preparation, the challenges of trying to get the laboratory to the sample to get better data quality and get it to the people who needed that information at a much faster turnaround. Those experiences really led me to having a, a keen interest or more of a keen interest in the spectroscopy world and in analytical chemistry and the instrumentation in general that supports it. That's understandable. So how did your career bring you here to Agilent? I came to Agilent from the Varian acquisition in 2010. I think the Varian acquisition by Agilent in 2010 was really important for both companies. Within the acquisition of Varian, what came to Agilent was an extra 30,000 customers in spectroscopy that the company has uh, subsequently been able to both introduce a broader portfolio to and also uh, have been able to support and drive services business and improve the, the outcomes of those customers that Varian brought in. So now you're here at Agilent. What trends in spectroscopy do you think will be defining the sector in the years to come? In terms of the macro trends that are either affecting our business or that we're exploring, I would say uh, there are four key themes that I would touch on. The first is taking the lab to the sample where our customers want to get the analytics of the sample much faster uh, and get the laboratory closer to where the sample is. Second one would be digital disruption in the market which will affect many parts of our business and our customers. The third would be that customers want us to do more in their laboratories for them. So take over some of the tasks that they have performed over many years within the laboratory and perform those either automatically or perform them with our consulting teams. And the fourth would be increased regulation across many industries. So the regulation coming from the medical industry moving into other industries such as environment, food and others. And with those trends suggesting the possible paths ahead to some extent, what's your vision for the way labs and spectroscopy in particular, can and should be responding to these trends over the next, say, 10 to 20 years? I think uh, one of those themes is, is from our customers' perspective. And that's really to be seen as the preferred provider of information that's valuable to our customers in solving their problems. It goes beyond the instrument and the data that the instruments generate and really moves us into talking to customers and, and having a dialogue with our customers about the information on the sample that they're interested in. So that's one of the themes from the customer's perspective. And I think another one that dovetails into what I think is important for us in terms of the future is that we're seen as a company that is a disruptor who seeks always to improve our customers' outcomes through continuous innovation and that innovation permeates through everything that we do as an organisation. Disruption can be just a bit of a buzzword though if it's not applied, right? What are the kind of real world challenges that our customers are looking to us to solve with that kind of mindset? I was talking to Richard Ladd earlier and he was talking about the pharma industry moving towards a continuous production process. What can we do to help make that a reality? 
continuous process is probably more the norm in the biomolecular side, but in small molecule they're moving there also. We have to move with them in that aspect, and that comes back to some of the areas that I touched on previously about moving the lab to the sample and doing more things for the customers in their laboratories. When moving there, we, had to, we have to get the same quality of results, we have to get them faster, and we have to get them closer to the process. We do have an enormous breadth of portfolio, and we're able to bring a lot of our analytical tools, our people expertise, and of course, products that perform much better than many in the industry. And when we combine them with two things that we do have in our company, one, the best innovation engine, I think, in the industry, and two, the best people in the industry that support our customers, I think we'll continue to surprise our customers. Thanks very much, Phil. Talking with Phil, Neil and Richard, I was struck by how, despite their very different professional experiences, what they have in common is a great sense of excitement for the future. And this is really underpinned by the vision that points the way towards revolutions. Revolutions, be it in ophthalmology, lab capabilities, or in pharmaceutical R&D. The conversations I had made it really clear to me how vision, and the visionaries amongst us, advance the way we think today, really to improve our lives for tomorrow. Based on what we've learned today, I'm feeling really positive about the future in terms of medical advances for sight-related disorders, how designing the pharma lab of the future may help achieve giving access to new pharmaceuticals, and the potential role Agilent may play in all of this to support these visions to become reality. The future's definitely looking bright. (music) 